Finnemore Souvenir Programme. Little pig, little pig, can I come in? Who's that? Colin Miller, Sunday Times. <laughs> Not a wolf? No. For me? Yes. Sure, come on in. So, why did you choose to build your house out of straw? Well, I've never built a house before, certainly not one designed to withstand wolf attack, but I have read a lot of stories. And in stories, it's always the youngest brother with the humblest approach that wins the day. And that's why you didn't go for twigs or bricks? That's right. Anyone who's read a story knows those stronger houses will be destroyed and only my humble straw house will defeat the wolf in an unexpected way. <laughs> like what? I don't know. Hay fever? <laughs> I see. Well, good luck. Little pig, little pig, may I come in? Of course, welcome. So why did you choose to build your house out of tweets? Well, I've never built a house before, but I have read a lot of stories, and in stories it's always the compromise between the two extremes that wins a day. <laughs> so that's, that's why you didn't go for straw or bricks? That's right. Anyone who's ever read a story knows the straw will be too weak and the bricks will be too strong. How will the bricks be too strong? <laughs> I don't know. Subsidence? <laughs> I see. Well, good luck. Little pig, little pig, may I come in? Yeah, but what's wrong with the doorbell? Oh. <laughs> Nothing. Right, here you come then. So, uh, why did you choose to build your house of bricks? Because it's a house. <laughs> right. right, and that's why you didn't go for straw or twigs? Well, that didn't even really cross my mind. <laughs> right, but I've spoken to your brothers, and they both say that in stories... Yeah, well, I've never read a story, but I have seen a lot of houses. <laughs> and they're usually built of bricks. So I built this house out of bricks. <laughs> Aren't you afraid the apparent stability of the bricks makes them all the more at risk from a narrative twist? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you afraid of that with your house? No. Well, then... So you're sure the wolf won't be able to blow your house down? Blow it down? <laughs> what, with his breath? <laughs> no, I just... Look, basically, what I've done is build a house. Robert has built a kind of ethnic hut, which is nice. Uh, I don't even know what Ethan thinks he's built, an art installation. I mean, never mind a wolf, he's in trouble if it rains. This is a house. Uh, well, it's getting late, the wolf will be here soon. Are you off? Uh, I thought you might want to stay with one of the other guys. With their narrative protection. Actually, if it's all right, I might, might stay here. Well, blow me down. <laughs> RAF Corfmullen, top secret air ministry research station, June 3rd, 1940. Prime Minister. Wing Commander, I trust you have good news for me. I hope so, sir. If you'll follow me, You'll be aware, sir, that we've been putting out the story that our fighter pilots are on a strict diet of carrots, and the resultant vitamin A boost is improving their eyesight and allowing them to see in the dark. Yes, rather childish nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> of course. And are the Germans falling for it? No, sir. No. We, we think that they have discovered that this is merely a cover for Mr. Watson Watts' experiments with electromagnetic waves, the so-called radar system. Indeed. And are they falling for that? Well, sir, as far as we can tell, we think they are. Excellent. <laughs> Whereas the truth is... The truth, sir, lies behind these doors. <laughs> ah, a room full of cats, just as I thought. 
As you thought, sir. What other explanation could there be? Suddenly our crews can inexplicably see in the dark. To the thinking man, there is but one explanation. Clearly you are training cats as navigators. <laughs> You're a great man, sir, and we're lucky to have you. <laughs> yes, sir, we are. After all, we have long used dogs in the military. Cats are not only far more intelligent, but have exceptionally good night sight. Let us give you a demonstration. Chovers? Uh, yes, sir. Hello, sir. Bring me Flight Navigation Officer Sooty. Right away, sir. <laughs> Here he is, sir. Meow. <laughs> Put him through his paces, Chovis. Yes, sir. All right, Sooty. Don't let me down, old chap. Church with a spire. Meow. Church with a steeple. Meow. Well done. May I? Uh, please. Bridal path permitted for public use. Meow. 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 The Krupp Munitions Factory in the Essen. <sighs> well... Can't he do that? That's what we need. Well, he can, sir, yeah, but... this is the one drawback, sir. We're used to working with dogs, of course. And dogs love us and want us to do well. Cats are indifferent to us and don't care if we die. <laughs> so we have to keep a constant reward system in operation. Chilvers, rub the navigation officer's tummy. Yes, sir. But this is ludicrous, man. We can't have our pilots breaking off a dogfight every ten minutes to rub the navigator's tum-tum. <laughs> ah. Actually, Prime Minister, uh, we're not calling them dogfights anymore. <laughs> and, and it does seem to be paying off, sir. And so tomorrow night, Prime Minister, we would like, for the first time, to send a Spitfire squadron into action against the enemy, navigated entirely by cats. Do we have your permission, sir? I suppose so. What do you call this method, by the way? Feline navigation system, sir. Or for short, catnav. <laughs> this week, I'm talking to Andrew Wilson, professor of biogenetics at the University of York and tireless champion of the theory of evolution. Good evening. Good evening. If I may, though, the fact of evolution, it's no longer considered a theory. Perhaps not by you. Uh, not by any competent authority. Those who contest it are either underinformed or willfully ignoring the evidence. The proven scientific fact is that almost all life on Earth is the result of cumulative change resulting from random mutation of genes. Almost all? That's right, yes. You mean there are exceptions? Not significant exceptions, no. But there are. Yes, but the overwhelming... I'm sorry, I'm going to have to press you on this. What are the exceptions? Hummingbirds. <laughs> hummingbirds? Yes, I think God probably made the hummingbirds, but that's all. <laughs> Why hummingbirds? Well, look, a scientist must take each case on its merits, free from prejudice. And I have to admit that hummingbirds... Have you seen one? They're amazing. <laughs> they beat their wings 80 times a second. They can fly backwards. They can't have just happened by accident. So, in this extremely unusual case, the most credible explanation is that they were formed by a superhuman creative intelligence. God. Well, you can call it what you like. Can you call it God? Yes. But, <laughs> look, this is the exception that proves the rule. The rule that God doesn't exist. Look, what I believe... <laughs> what I believe is that the overwhelming majority of all life that has ever existed came about by the blind application of natural selection upon replicating entities. All God did was make the hummingbirds. And Elizabeth Roberts. Who? My granddaughter. She happens to be the other exception. God made your granddaughter? Yeah, I know it's a coincidence, I know. But as a conscientious scientist, I have to record that when my daughter recently gave birth, it was immediately obvious God had come out of retirement to try to top the hummingbirds. How can you tell? You just have to look at her. 
Her little chubby feet alone rule out the possibility she randomly descended from a pre-Neolithic hominid like the rest of us did. And, and Elizabeth is the only exception. You, you never felt this way about your daughter, for instance. No, no, the hominid explanation works fine for her. <laughs> So, now you've discovered all this, Professor, what next? Well, I'm publishing a new book in the autumn, Intelligent Deceit, The Tyranny of Superstition, and I am founding a very small church. How small? It's basically a Wendy church. <laughs> ah, Monsieur Voltaire, est-ce vous? Oui, Monsieur, c'est moi, Voltaire, bonjour. Are we doing this whole sketch in French? Assuredly uh, not. Are we doing this whole sketch in our gorgeous French accent? Assuredly, uh, mais oui, bien sûr. <laughs> Permit me to introduce to you, my friends. This is the quick-tempered Comte Guy Lombard, the finest swordsman in all of France, and a man whose accent is, if anything, even more outrageous than our own. Charmed to make your acquaintance, monsieur. Monsieur, I see what you mean. And this is my English friend, Mr. Simon Kane, who does not want to do the outrageous French accent. <laughs> I just think if we're doing the voices, we should do them. Properly. And hence we'll be getting no more lags. Oh, come on. Silence. <laughs> no, mon ami. Uh, what can I do for you? I am not your ami, mon ami. I wish to know if it is true that you once said, I do not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Uh, yes, that was one of mine. It is a phrase most elegant, n'est-ce pas? No, n'est-ce pas at all. I think it is a vain and foolish post, and you would never actually do it. What? You question my friend's honor to his face? I have killed men for less. Pisky de Lombard. Monsieur, I do not agree with you when you say that I would not defend to the death your right to say something I did not agree with. But I will defend to the death your right to say. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Monsieur Voltaire. I say someone should stab you to death. This time you go too far, you insolent puppy. Take that back or prepare to die. Pisky de Lombard. Our friend is entitled to his view. I'm sorry, Voltaire, but now I have challenged him. My honor will not allow me to back down. He must die. Then you will have to kill me first. That, that would be stupid. <laughs> Nonetheless, I will defend to the death his right to say someone should stab me to death. <laughs> I don't want to fight you, Voltaire, but I will. And remember, I am the finest swordsman in all France. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you are. Well... Both. Uh, <laughs> it would be quite a silly way to die, we did not. Very well. On this one occasion, philosophy must make a concession to pragmatism. You two sorted that between you. Wait, wait. You're going back on your word? You're not going to defend him to the death? In this one case, most exceptional, no. But that makes him right about you. So I have challenged him wrongfully and brought shame upon me for defending you, miserable dog. On the demands we must duel, prepare to die. What? All right, fine, I take it back. I will defend him to the death. Ah, there speaks my noble old friend. Prepare to die. <laughs> and so we say farewell to our friend Voltaire, who died, as so many Frenchmen do, in a freak philosophy accident. <laughs> A tragic loss made perhaps yet more tragic by the cruel irony that Voltaire never actually even said that. Really? Yep, it's a common misattribution. It was actually said by Evelyn Beatrice Hall. Well, I never. Yeah, also, this is what a proper French accent sounds like, so... <laughs> Let's take the old crate up for a spin, see if we can't bag ourselves a Jerry. Ready, Archie? As I'll ever be, sir. Ready, Lofty? Yes, sir. Ready, Mr. Pickles? Meow. Yeah. Then tally 
Turn on the cat-nav. Mr. Pickles, where to? Left it is. Tally-ho! So you see, sir, it all started terribly well. So what the hell went wrong? Well, as, as far as we can tell, sir, the cats didn't realise they were going to be shot at. Ah. <laughs> yes, it seems that came as a surprise to them. And, well, sir, have you ever squirted a cat with water? I have, Wing Commander. It didn't like it, not one bit. <laughs> no, sir. Well, it seems they like it even less with bullets, sir. <laughs> And so we now have Spitfires landed in trees and garage roofs all over Switzerland. Yes, guards, the whole squadron. Yes, sir. Well, except for one that didn't even get as far as Germany and is currently following a mackerel trawler around the North Sea. <laughs> and what the hell are you planning to do about this? Well, we think we can recover the plane, sir. And then one of our lady boffins has a plan. You have lady boffins? Lovely lady boffins, sir. <laughs> lady boffin, step in here, please. Good morning, Prime Minister. Ah! I thought you said you had lovely Lady Boffins. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Lady Boffin, take off your glasses. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> this is my plan, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, Lady Boffin, glasses back on, please. Oh! <laughs> yes, what have you done about these damn scaredy cats? A two-pronged strategy, sir. Firstly, we've modified the flight controls and trained the cats to actually fly the planes as well. Mm. That way we need never risk another human life in the air. But damn it, if they're alone in the aircraft, surely they'll just fly off somewhere safe and comfortable. Nowhere near the Germans. Hence my second prong. I suddenly realised, sir, that the cats simply saw all humans as the same. They had no idea of the ghastly fight we're in. So I put them through a series of films and lectures outlining in simple cat-comprehensible language the nature of the Nazi menace. And? The cats were appalled, sir. Lady Boffin was quite right. They had had no idea what they were fighting against. They're all lined up outside now, sir, ready and eager for the fray. Oh. You now want me to let you launch a squadron of Spitfires navigated and piloted solely by cats, yes? Yes. Yes. Well, why not? After all, I am very drunk. <laughs> Where have they gone? All the days of summertime Who can find? Last September's rose Where have they gone? All the snows of yesteryear Where have they vanished to? Where have they gone, do you suppose? File not found <laughs> Days of the summertime Invalid search Last September's rose Address unknown All the snows of yesteryear Please check your spelling Or else search for other snows how can I once more return to my youth? Please wait, database updated, search initiated. Your route can't be calculated. Where have they gone? Not in this directory. Who can find? Unfulfilled request. Where have they gone, all the girls I used to know? Unknown recipients, message failed at this address. <laughs> is there a point to human strife? Or is it all simply absurd? Finding file, the meaning of life. A fatal error has occurred. <laughs> Please check and 
Radio 4, it's time for The Archers, the way it sounds to people who don't really listen to The Archers, but, you know, sometimes it's on. And there's a new arrival at the bull, which doesn't mean a baby, it just means someone's come in. <laughs> Hello, look who's turned up again. It's one of the men who always sound tired. <laughs> So, like a bad penny. Hello, one of the men who always sounds jolly. One of the cosily wry women, which is all of them, except. Except two. Hello, I dare say you could do with a drink. Well, I wouldn't say no. You look like you've been in the war. Yes, it's, it's been a bit of a hectic week. Here you are, and it's on the house if it turns out I own this pub. Oh, that hits the spot. You look about ready for that. I reckon he's earned it, too. Do you know, I think I have at that. <sighs> so, what is it you've been doing so tiredly? Uh, well, I've just come from helping Andrew do the costings and financial breakdown audit spreadsheet remittance return for that box he wants to put down. Andrew wants to put down a box? That's the plan, yes. It's a shoe box, I think. A shoe box? Well, I wish him luck. I must say I never really saw Andrew as a shoe box putting down. No, I don't know. He seems really keen on it. He, he cleared a place on the kitchen table for it weeks ago. A box on the kitchen table? Well, I'll believe that when I see it. <laughs> he seems serious about this one. But of course this is the Archers, so first he's got to cost it out and draw up a financial plan and visit the bank and clear it with the council and the EU. And of course his brother has had his eye on that bit of the kitchen table to put a roll of sellotape down. <laughs> so you can guarantee that any time you accidentally listen to this in the next six months, we will all still be going on about Andrew and his sodding thoughts. My friends, there isn't much food, God knows, but there is enough for all of us. And when we scrabble for it between us, we demean ourselves before our oppressors. So this time, when our food is contemptuously thrown to us, we will not fight for it, but with dignity, we shall each in turn take a piece until it is fairly divided. In that way, we will all eat sufficiently show our captors our unity and our power. Agreed? My comrade in blue. Aye. My comrade in green. Aye. My comrade in yellow. Aye. And I, your comrade in red. Very well then, I, I hear them approach. Remember, one at a time. Three, two, one, go! Oh, my poor friends. They cannot help themselves. They are such hungry, hungry hippos. Well, Wing Commander. Ah, uh, what great news, sir. Let me guess. Despite your high-minded lectures, the moment I got in the air, the cats all flew straight off to hide in the Bahamas. Uh, no, sir. No, it's worse than that, sir. 
They defected to the Germans. What? <laughs> yes, sir. You see, it turns out that the Nazi message of territorial expansion, cruelty, and the triumph of the strong over the weak, that's pretty much the philosophy of cats as a species. <laughs> they were rather cross they'd been fighting against it. You're telling me cats are Nazis? <laughs> it does look that way, sir, yes. So, not only do the Germans have our cat technology, they also have a squadron of our Spitfires piloted by our cats, ranged up against us. I'm afraid so, sir. Sorry, sir. But all is not lost. We've been talking to the Navy, sir, and we've developed a rather exciting countermeasure. First, we fill a submarine full of owls. I love it! <laughs> well... Since you ask me for a tale of mysterious deaths and a witch's curse, I will tell you a tale of those two things. Though obviously I've slightly given away the twist. <laughs> I was weekending with an old schoolfellow, known to me as Charlie, but to Debretz as the Duke of Wimbim Kingsonsham. <laughs> a trap of the unwary, this, incidentally, for it is, of course, pronounced as if it was spelt Wimbim Kingsonsham, whereas it is actually spelt Kent. <laughs> It is the grammar school parvenu who's fallen foul of that little test. <laughs> and paid for it, of course, with his life. <laughs> my host had implored me to treat the place as my own. And I was therefore employed in demolishing the East Wing, which was blocking my sea view, <laughs> when Charlie asked to speak to me. Ah, oh, Finnamore. I wonder if you would keep the twelfth up next month free. Well, of course, said I. What is the occasion? Uh, being feast or bun fight? Neither, sadly. I'm afraid I have feasted on my last bean and fought my last bun. <laughs> the twelfth will be my funeral. Good God, man! I ejaculated, which is an old-fashioned word for exclaimed, as you know perfectly well. <laughs> Whatever can you mean? Are you sick? Not I. Why, only this morning I swam the English Channel, punched a Frenchman on the nose and swam back just for sport. <laughs> no, I've never felt better. Then what in the world is this morbid talk of funerals? Well, Finnamore... Would it surprise you to learn, I wonder, that the Dukes of Wimbingham are cursed? I considered the question. I think it would have done if you'd just come out and said it, I replied eventually, but now I don't think it will much. Well, we are cursed. Oh, my God, I shouted. For I fear I have always been terrible at gauging how surprising things will turn out to be. Yes, I'm afraid so. For generations now, no Duke of Wimbingham has lived past 39. My great-grandfather, for instance, was killed in a hunting accident when someone foolishly gave the fox a gun. My grandfather, killed on the very eve of his 40th birthday by a runaway train. My father was also killed on the eve of his birthday. And not only that... If you tell me, I interjected, that he too was killed by a runaway train, I shall faint dead away with the shock. Yes, he was. Oh, really? I say, I really am terrible at surprise prediction. But not just any runaway train. The self-same runaway train that killed his father. What? Yes, it was never recaptured. <laughs> it escaped to live wild on the moor, only returning every so often to steal some cold water and passengers and kill one of my ancestors. But, but why are the Wimbinkingsons from so cursed, I asked. I believe I may be able to answer that. Said a voice, we turned and beheld an elderly gentleman whose dog collar, surplus, cassock, vestments, wide-brimmed hat, clerical trousers and vicar's socks told me he was either a vicar or a non-vicar in fancy dress. <laughs> of one thing I could be sure, he was not a vicar in fancy dress. 
forgive my intrusion. I am a passing vicar. I knew it, cried I. I'm just on my way, you see, to a fancy dress party I am attending. <laughs> I didn't know it, cried I. Where is your costume? My, I'm wearing it. I am attending in the character of an Abyssidian Anabaptist, whereas I am, of course, a nonconformist Gideonite. <laughs> but leaving that aside, I believe I have the key to the riddle. Intrigued, we begged him to continue. Eh? What, what are you doing that for? He said in some confusion. What made you think I wouldn't continue? <laughs> I, I was just about to continue. I, I only stopped continuing in order to listen to you two begging me to continue. Chastened, we asked him to continue continuing, but promised not to beg him to do so. That's better. The trouble began, sir, with the first duke, your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, who, ironically, was not all that great. Three hundred years ago, he cruelly had a village maiden burned as a witch on the eve of her fortieth birthday. It is her dying curse that haunts you still. I see, said I, and how do you come to know so much about it? Oh, let's just say I have a long memory. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't get it. Nothing. Oh, unless you mean you are the spirit of the witch taking corporeal form in order to gloat over her next victim. What? Why would... Why would you... How do you... Oh, bloody hell, how did you know? <laughs> well, you made it pretty obvious, didn't you? All that ha-ha-ha business, very witchy. I'm not a witch. Weren't you listening? Just the first duke was desperate to burn someone. When he couldn't find anyone practising witchcraft, he widened the definition to any ugly woman who owned a cat. <laughs> when he couldn't even find one of those, he made the women of the village have a beauty contest. First prize was a night with him, last prize was a cat. <laughs> I won the cat. But look here, is there nothing I can do to lift the curse? Said Charlie, rather tactlessly, I thought. Nothing! Cried the hag. My implacable vengeance will forever fall on all who bear the hated name of my murderer, the Duke of Kent! <laughs> Kent? No, no, I'm the Duke of Wimbingensumshire. It's just spelt Kent. Oh, really? Well, well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> The curse is lifted from you, and I shall seek out the real Dukes of Kent, wherever they may be found. Try Kent. <laughs> and with that, she vanished. And sure enough, Charlie lived to see his 40th birthday, and indeed to have a long and happy life. Until just last year, when, at the ripe old age of 85, at home, in his own bed, he was peacefully killed by a runaway train. <laughs> but there is a postscript to this story. And I think you will agree it is the most astounding and shocking circumstance of the whole affair. That same evening, returning exhausted to my room, I happened to glance at the calendar and realised that all of these curious events had taken place on no other day than Tuesday. <laughs> I really am terrible at gauging surprises. Good night. John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme was written by and starred John Finnemore with Simon Kane, Carrie Quinlan and Laurie Lewin. The original music was by Susanna Pierce. The producer was Ed Morris. In tonight's show, Simon Kane's words were spoken by an actor. John Finnemore's words should have been. Yeah.